to this, the Holiday Story Special Chuckle Duster Podcast. I am your host, Somebody Dead from the Halloween Podcast. <laughs> I'm still dead. The Chuckle Dusters wish you all happy holidays and a fantastic new year. To celebrate this joyous season, a few of us have prepared some short themed stories for you. Up first, Joel Mellinger gives us this no doubt entirely factual tale of snowy bliss. Although there may not be snow in it. Enjoy. Mr. and Mrs. Mars Crab were tucking their little ones into bed. It was Christmas Eve on Mars, and Mrs. Mars Crab was feeling sad. A thick cloud of copper-coloured dust had blanketed their cave for what seemed like an age, and it was impossible to get into a jovial mood. "'Oh, I feel so sad for our little ones,' she said. "'Here on Mars we don't celebrate Christmas, and our darling little crab-children will have nothing to open tomorrow morning.' "'You're such a kind and wonderful mother,' said Mr. Mars Crab. "'But really I do wish you weren't so keen on celebrating festive Earth holidays. Here on Mars we worship the canyon.' Sure, it doesn't offer us much by way of solace when times are tough, but it's our religion, and that's that. Mrs. Mars Crab dutifully obeyed, but nothing could dull the warm glow of excitement in her cancrine belly. She and her family first heard about Christmas after they had been spotted by one of the metal earth rovers, and her Martian crab antennae had intercepted the radio signals from their celestial neighbours. Much of what she had listened to had been meaningless drivel about something called the Kardashians, but in amongst the inane bullshit she came across an incredible story. Apparently, on Earth, a baby called Jesus Claus was born on December the 25th, and every year on his birthday he travels to every house on Earth on a magical sleigh which is pulled by three wise men, and when he arrives he gives the children presents. Not the Jewish ones, though. Even though Jesus Claus is Jewish, she wasn't sure why. It was all a bit complicated. But, oh, how she longed to participate in this wonderful festival. She got down onto six of her knees and prayed. Dear Jesus Claus, I know you have a lot to do on your birthday, what with visiting every single house on earth, but I was wondering if, this year, you could make a special arrangement for my family. You see, here on Mars, we are all alone, with nothing but a big, dusty old canyon to worship. It's all so terribly desolate. If you could come and bring some of your magic to us, we would be eternally grateful. Besides, your surname is Claus, and we're crabs, so, you know, I'm just, I mean, I don't want to explain it. Anyway, thank you, Jesus Claus. And with that, she held on to Mr. Mars Crab tightly and went to sleep. The next morning, the whole Mars Crab family were woken up by an almighty whoosh. 
Mrs. Marscrab rubbed her eyes in disbelief as she witnessed an enormous rocket gracefully settling down on the plain before them. The whole Marscrab family was stunned and couldn't move out of fear. After a few minutes, a hatch opened with a pool of dazzling white light pouring out of it, and there was a figure dressed all in white with a big helmet and a shiny glass visor. What is it, Mummy? Clicked the Mars Crab children. It's Jesus Claus, she says. He answered my prayers. But Jesus Claus was not alone. In fact, four figures emerged from the golden hatch. It's the three wise men! Cried Mrs. Mars Crab. They've come for us on their magical sleigh. And what followed was more than she could ever have wished for. Jesus Claus and the three wise men came straight towards Mrs. Mars Crab and her lovely family, and scooped each of them up and placed them into sterile containers. They were then taken into the magical sleigh itself and put into a chamber. Children said, "Mrs. Mars Crab in delight." Do you know how lucky we are? We're going to see Earth. We're going to celebrate Christmas, and celebrate they did, for when they arrived on Earth, they were paraded in front of all of Jesus Claus' friends, who were dressed in white Christmas coats and had special Christmas sticks to poke them with. Then, just when Mrs. Mars Crab thought it couldn't get any better, there was a crash at the door. We are the MCLF, the Mars Crab Liberation Front. We are here to emancipate these poor alien crustaceans from your evil scientific experiments. Mrs. Mars Crab had no idea what was going on, but she was so touched that these lovely people had come to see them. She and her family were whisked away once more until they ended up in a squat in Enfield, where the MCLF were based, and there, surrounded by militant activists, she experienced a real Earth Christmas for the first time in her life. Next. James Hamer Morton gives a one hundred percent true telling of what will happen this Christmas morning. Joel, 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 The dusters awoke on Christmas morning, seven a.m., bright-eyed and full of excitement. The spirit of love and happiness overwhelmed by the thought of presents—simply presents. While some of them didn't celebrate Christmas, living in England meant they were basically bullied into it, and at least Santa Claus made that pain a little bit easier. Lauren was first out of her room in Duster Towers. She hadn't put on her makeup yet, so looked rough, really rough. A few glasses of sherry and mulled wine the night before. Rough. She was hoping for a very special gift this year, but before she could reach her festive stocking, she bumped into Joel, Jack, and James, who had drunkenly hooked up the night before. Flakes of what Lauren assumed was binged mince pies scattered over their clothes. 
They shared a smile and wordlessly descended towards the battleground of gifts sure to be present, pun intended, by the tree. Michal was already there. Slightly confused at the tradition of plucking a living thing from its happy deciduous existence in the ground and bringing it inside, taunting it by the wood fire where it would be hoping to never end up, scattering pine needles all over the floor. The confusion of her face was more than about the tree, however. Wim emerged from the kitchen, having already polished off seconds of his Christmas dinner. Australians were at least seven hours ahead. Lisa, having just had a birthday, was less eager for gifts, but couldn't miss out and didn't want to let the other dusters down. But when she entered the living room, the festive cheer was replaced with something much more fearful. Where the f*** are my presents? Gently squeaked Joel. Santa! Why has Santa not come? James trembled. No! No! Lauren, calm down. Let's just give him a call and find out what's up. Call Santa? How can we call Santa? minced Jack. Michal had an idea. Look, I'm new at this, but surely if Santa had a phone number, it would just be... Oh, oh, oh. Ho, ho. Genius! choired the rest of the dusters in perfect harmony. A complicated song and dance number gave way to Joel dialing the number. Hello, ho, ho! How do we know it's really him? doubted Lauren. Lauren, shut up. Naughty list. Five years. Mother f- Anyway... How can I help you, Dusters? He knows us. Of course I do. I have the internet and a sense of humour. Jack interrupted. His words ejaculated from his mouth like... He spoke. Look, Santa, can I call you that? Santa? I am known by very many names. Father Christmas, Santa Claus, Lucifer, Saint Nicholas. Where are our gifts? My dear dusters, oh, only the good boys and girls get gifts. Joel blubbered. All the charges against me were dropped. That porcupine wasn't even... Joel, it's not that. He knows about Lisa's side job. Wim, shut up. Sorry, Santa. I prefer Lucifer. Sorry. Look, why don't we get presents, humped James. You dusters have been putting out a weekly podcast. Michal licked accusingly at the others. I told you you weren't funny. It should have been the Michal podcast, just me talking. Michal, shut up. Jack laughed. Jack, shut up. Yeah, Jack, you're... Everyone shut up except me. Silence. Narrator, shut up. Sorry. Every week, you've been deceiving, lying... Making up things and passing them off as truth. Lying, my dear dusters, is the worst thing you could do. How have we been lying? Joel dared. You claimed that a squirrel is what happens when a cat breeds with a mouse. What? That wasn't in the podcast, probed Lisa. Lisa, shut up. That was cut in the final version, filleted James. James, shut up. That was clearly a joke, a fake fact, Reese's peanut butter cupped Joel. I like to call them lies. And do lying dusters get gifts? No! I, I don't think that's very fair, retorted Joel, thinking that it wasn't very fair. But what if we just promised to never do any more fake facts? Yes, yes, we will never do any more fake facts. Was that a fake fact? 
<laughs> clever. No, it wasn't. Then maybe by next year you'll be back on my nice list. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have a lot of returns to deal with. Children's writing is so untidy in their letters to me, and you'd be amazed how many just write horse. My bad. See you next year! Ho, ho, ho! Wait! defecated Jack, too late to catch Santa as he hung up. So we don't get anything? But before anyone could react further, Matt walked in with his giant sack. Matt! Don't tell me, fist-pumped James. You've got gifts from us all in your giant sack! No, why would I keep gifts in there? Oh, disappointed Jack. Well, surely it can't end like this. The end. Ha <laughs> ha! Sarah Griffin writes a letter to Santa. Let's listen in, for she is reading it out loud! Dear Santa, it's Sarah. Hi. How are you? I'm sorry that I haven't written in ages, but let's be honest, you know that Ma always made me write letters to you to leave under the milk so that she could check the childlike wonder of Christmas off the to-do list before she had to go back and ice the additional 20 sheets of sugar cookies we would deliver to the neighbors the next day. I knew it wouldn't make any difference what I asked for, as all Christmas shopping in our house was completed by November 15th, wrapped by December 10th, and lamented for being just not as good as your grandmother would have done by the evening of the same. Why would anybody even ask for a gift after mid-December? It's not like you were going to go to the store on Christmas Eve. Because that's what desperate people who don't plan do. And we should judge them. And pity them. And save them some cookies, but only the broken ones, or the ones I iced. Christmas had rules, Santa. And I obeyed them. I was a good girl, with capital G's, and I have continued to be so. Even though Ma stopped making me leave notes once I asked her why Santa's replies, which were for some reason written on newspaper and magic marker, had the same slanty writing she used. That was the same year that the Tooth Fairy signed a note, Your Friend the Easter Bunny, and I collapsed into existential crisis over the fact that the person who collected my teeth was apparently outsourcing to the same person who rotted them, but I digress. I am 30 years old, and I have not asked you for anything since I was 10. I pay my taxes when I make enough money to do so, and, by my calculations, I am entitled to two decades' worth of back Christmas wishes by this point. So, Santa, this year, for Christmas, would you please make people stop posting bigoted nonsense on Facebook so that when I question it, I spend the next few days getting yelled at by their seemingly endless stream of friends who, having never met me, feel wholly entitled to explain my opinions to me so that I will understand how wrong I am to care about any group of humans of which I may or may not be a part. Please deliver some of the cookie assortments my mom used to make. They were really good. She made her own fig bars. Do you even know how complicated that is? I bet not. Because you get handed cookies by millions of people every year, so baking can't be high on your hobby list. But seriously, you must remember, those things were amazing. Please put tiny hats on all spiders. I know that they are magical, hydraulic-powered little bug-killing machines, but they still look creepy as all hell, and I would feel so much better about seeing one on the wall if it were wearing a happy little flat cap. Or a boulder. Whatever, man. I'm sure spiders have their own sense of style. Please make people stop yelling at me on Facebook. Please give a bottle of extra-strength liquid cough syrup to my neighbors. 
Their kids seem like perfectly reasonable little micro-humans until about 2am when they're standing by our adjoining bedroom wall and screaming at each other about who the hell can tell because it's child screaming and that happens at pitches audible too but by no means decipherable by the human ear. Save their little throats, Santa. Save my sleep. Drug them. Please make people stop yelling at me on Facebook. Please give mice the ability to read English, so that they will understand the tiny notices I have slipped between my floorboards explaining that as long as they don't chew through my walls and into the part of the house that I live in, they are more than welcome to stay safe and warm under my floor and live off of the things I always drop down there because all of the food I really like seems to have properties that allow it to both roll and bounce. Seriously, they would never go hungry. I would even drop some of the crumbs from Ma's cookie assortment down there. Spread the wealth. Please improve my handwriting so that the notices that I post will be readily legible. Please make people stop yelling at me on Facebook. Please make strangers stop thinking I look like the kind of person who really wants to talk to them about anything. Ever. Especially religion. Please make people stop thinking that the reason I haven't spoken to them is that I don't want to. Please give me the ability to, at will, do any accent flawlessly after only hearing it once. Please make me stop unintentionally mimicking people's accents at them for the first few times that they speak to me. Please make me stop intentionally mimicking people's accents at them once I think we're friends. Please make people stop yelling at me on Facebook. Please find an as-yet-undiscovered Jimmy Stewart and Frank Capra collaboration to replace It's a Wonderful Life so that I can watch something over the Christmas season that has all the aw oh, gosh shucks, aren't we all swell folks, old-timey Americanism about it, but I haven't yet memorized every camera shift. Seriously, I'm getting to the point where I would feed some of the neighbor kids cough syrup to Zuzu just so she'll shut up about her stupid pedals long enough for my in-laws to beat me at Scrabble. Please raise my alcohol tolerance so that I can keep pace with my in-laws while they are beating me at Scrabble. Please take the time to do something nice for yourself. You work very hard. You deserve a little you time. Get a voucher for a massage or something. Use one of my wishes. Go on. I can spare it. That's just the kind of person I am. I'm nice. Now please, for the love of all that is lovable this warm and caring holiday season, please make people stop yelling at me on Facebook. Merry Christmas. Yours sincerely, Sarah Griffin. P.S. I would also like a kitty. And finally, Matt Little continues this web of lies, I mean, stories, with one about breaking into Santa's workshop. Greetings, my name is Matt, and I am here to tell you a Christmas tale. The story you're about to hear is true. It happened several years ago, too many years to know about. A local villager saw the events happen with his own eyes. Someone else saw it happen with someone else's eyes. They both told the story to the innkeeper, who told the story to the Wainwright. The Wainwright told the seamstress. She told the milliner's wife, who told the m milliner's husband. He told the story to a Mrs. Jenny Ration, the first in a long line of Jennies, and it's been passed down from Jenny Ration to Jenny Ration. If you still don't believe me, just ask your local milliner, though they might tell you to keep it under your hat. <laughs> I'd recommend you a good milliner, but I can't think of one off the top of my head. 
hats. Milliners make hats. Our story begins in the most Christmassy of settings, a workshop. There isn't anything particularly unusual about this workshop, except it's magical and full of elves. Happy elves, dancing and singing in their finely stitched clothing attire. I don't know why the clothing is important here. I mean, I do, for warmth, but and to hide modesty, but the fact that it's mentioned, the elves weren't naked, okay? There's no nudity in the story. So the clothed elves were having a whale of a time in Santa's workshop. Too much fun, really. They're meant to be working, making toys. One of the elves has been working on the same rocking horse for like 40 minutes. I think he's taken him for a ride. Santa, I mean, not the horse. They're singing an old Irish drinking song about the fact Santa's next door having a bath. Um, no, that implies more nudity. Let's say it's a Scottish drinking song. So anyways, the crux of this story revolves around the fact that some children have snuck, snuck, snooked, crept into Santa's estate. Now let me tell you, outsiders were forbidden from entering the estate, to the extent where if you were caught poking your nose around where it didn't belong, you would kindly ask to leave, please. So no one ever went to Santa's estate, until this face, fate's faceful, until this fateful night. The group of children had blatantly ignored the warning. They were so close to Santa's workshop that they could practically smell the elves. Not Santa, though, because he was clean as a whistle on account of his bath. As the wide-eyed children peered through the windows at the glowing workshop inside, all they could think about was how much they wanted to be one of the elves, living in Santa's workshop from the time they got up to the time they went to sleep, endlessly creating toy after toy, screwing on dolls' heads and winding up gears and painting on buttons and... For barely any pay and very few breaks, it was all any child could ever want. They watched for almost an hour and then, suddenly, the elves stopped. They put down their tools and one by one they left the workshop to bed. And as if by magic or a switch, the lights went out. <clears throat> After a pause, the children looked at each other with their eyes and softly they spoke about how they might gain entrance to the wondrous realm of fun and laughter within. The door to the workshop was locked, but the lock itself was worn with age. The children emptied their pockets, but all they had was money piles of coins that they'd stolen when they mugged the Easter Bunny. The children began jamming the coins in the lock, which finally gave way, and the door was ajar. Some say the door was unlocked before the children put the money in, but their brains weren't fully formed yet, so we'll let them off. The important thing was it cost each child about five pieces to get in. That's five pounds in today's money. The door opened with a creak. The children paddled through the creek, and one after the other, the children sauntered into the dark workshop. The moonlight from outside gave them just enough light to negotiate the benches, and the children hatched a plan. They would hide in the workshop so they could experience up close the following morning's fun and games. Silently, the children climbed a few steps and hid amongst some toys not far from where the elves would be working. They each cursed the fact that the elves had only gone to bed ten minutes ago, so it would be hours until morning and they were too excited to sleep, and strange noises kept emanating from a heavily locked iron door in the corner of the room. Eventually, morning began to begin, and the sun rose from beneath the horizon and shone its bloated face at things. All the colours of the workshop began to shimmer. The children thought they couldn't be more excited, but suddenly, on a screen on the far wall, four words appeared. Basilisk, 
ignoramus, soliloquy, and axolotl. The children had no idea what the words meant, but they seemed magical all the same. Then a minute later, an elf entered the room and began preparing the workshop. But she was miming, cleaning, and setting out imaginary food. Each subsequent elf then entered after ringing a doorbell. She would quickly quiz each one for a minute before they started working. The children shifted to get a better view of the proceedings, and it wasn't long before they realised that all the elves were curious creatures indeed. The elf nearest the children spent the whole time chatting up the other elves and trying to establish how a date might play out, given the chance. One elf turned up late and was made to sit on a stall and was grilled for a few minutes on where they'd been, even though it seemed that everyone in the room already knew. One sorry-looking elf seemed to have no grasp of any language at all and just spoke gobbledygook towards another elf in the hope they would translate. Finally, Santa arrived and gave a press conference confirming he was having a lesbian affair with a mermaid. Sniggering followed and Santa requested quiet in the room before he spoke. I am aware that we have some visitors in our midst. One elf spoke up. Yes, sir, they are over there. The elf seemed to be pointing, but he actually had the arms of another elf crouched behind him. The children came out from hiding. Santa and the elves assembled around the children, which would have taken a minute or so, but one of the elves shouted, Fast forward! And it made everyone in the room speed into position in mere seconds, except for two of the elves who had to have their limbs physically manipulated by some helpers. Santa spoke solemnly. Children, you should not have come. While being an elf may seem like fun, they are all horribly cursed each in a more hideous way than the last. One of the elves shouted, Ding! and Santa corrected himself, each in a more sexual way than the last. They may be able to make a toy train that runs on your own tears, or sew a cushion that looks as appetising as a marshmallow. As he said this, one of the elves popped a marshmallow in their mouth. But they are all tremendously flawed, and you have become exposed and will now take those curses with you, because you can't stay here. Your lives are doomed from this day forward, and all because you're nothing but a bunch of inquisitive, nosy ignoramuses. At that point, all the elves cheered, and the word ignoramus was crossed off the screen on the back wall. You're all f***ed, basically, said Santa. And he was right. The children left the workshop not as they had arrived. They were now part elf. They would live for hundreds of years, displaying all the traits the elves had shown. They would be shunned by the rest of humanity. But a couple of the wiser children, Jack and Joel, they remembered how they'd paid to get into the workshop and how much they'd laughed at the elves' unfortunate quirks. And they decided that maybe they could occasionally charge other humans to watch their freak show. And so it was settled. They would set up a group called Chuckle Duster and the children's lives wouldn't be completely ruined after all. But Matt, I hear you say, what was behind the workshop's heavily locked iron door? Well, I'll tell you. It was an elf, the most unfortunate and disgusting elf of them all, and all of his curses were inflicted on just one of the children, and that child's name was James. The End Merry Christmas, everybody. Fear the holidays, for your bank balance will undoubtedly die! But that's enough from us for now. Tune in next time for the final podcast of the season. Get your suggestions for what to talk about in now by tweeting at us using the hashtag CDPodcast.
Merry whatever you celebrate. <laughs> We are the MCLF, the Mars Crab Liberation Front. We are... <clears throat> Sorry, laughing at my own joke.